Take your Bibles this afternoon. Turn with me once again to the 11th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians in chapter 11. Last week we looked at verses 4 and 5. Verse 4, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. How were we to understand that verse? Every man praying or prophesying, having long hair, dishonoreth his head. Every man praying or prophesying has the natural manifestation that he is a man of wearing short hair. And so, if he comes in to the house of the Lord with long hair, he dishonors his head, it's a shame. No, we understand that just how it reads. Black and white. If the nat if the man having the natural symbol of short hair, comes in to the house of prayer with a hat or some other kind of covering on his head, he dishonors his head. We also look to verse 5. But every one that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shorn. The man dishonors his head by having it covered. The woman dishonors by having it uncovered, hat or a veil, not having it on her head. That is even all one as if she were shorn or shaven. So this week, because we didn't, for time's sake, didn't have a chance to get to verse 6. We begin by looking at verse 6. Verse 6 just reinforces what was said in verse 5. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame, 
for a woman to be shorn or shaven. And it was and is. Let her be covered. The teaching of verse 5, as we have said, is just reinforced here in this verse. Either a woman is to have her head covered or veiled, comes to the house of God. And if she does not cover her head coming to the house of God, then she is to be shorn or shaven. Understand this. I'm not a Greek scholar, so I have to rely on those who were Greek scholars when I dig into verses such as this. But the Greek word for covering in verse 6 is katakalupa, katakalupta. Probably not pronounced right, but close. It is a covering or veil that can be voluntarily, at will, put on or taken off at will. which is something that is not true of her hair. It can't be just taken off and put on at will. You might say, well, if I will, I can shave it so it's all gone, but then you can't put it back on at will, you see. Kata, which is part of the Greek word here. Kata is intensive, which implies action. This word for the artificial covering or veil is distinguished from that from the Greek word parabellon. There again, probably not pronounced correctly. But you see the difference between the two. And that means something cast around referring to the natural covering such as one's hair, a woman's hair. Just skip with me for a moment down to verse 15. 
But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given for a covering, like as a covering, as a parabellon, something that is cast around. The back in our verse, verse six. For if the woman be not covered, let her also. The word also here means in addition to. I think we understand that from our normal English usage of also. In addition to, it's, it's very important. It's a very important word in this verse and in interpreting of this passage of Scripture. The only way the verse makes any sense is if you interpret it to mean that if a woman does not wear a veil or hat or some kind of covering on her head, then in addition, she should cut her hair short like a man or shave her head. Literally. That's the only way it can be properly understood. For if the woman be not covered, let her in addition to that not being covered be shorn or shaven. If covering in verse 6 was to be long hair. Here's how it would read. If a, if a woman have short hair, that is, her head's not covered, she comes in with short hair, not covered, if hair is what it's talking about, then, in addition, let her also have short hair. If she comes into the house of the Lord, the house of God, with short hair or shaven, then let her also have short hair or be shaven. <laughs> it doesn't even make any sense. But yet that's what some would argue that the hair is the covering being spoken of here.
you see such an interpretation is this makes no sense. Why can't we just let God's word say what it says? Why do we have to try to question God's word? Why do we have to try to explain it away as though we know better and know better than God? Again, I read to you what others have said. Milburn Cockrell wrote this, If a woman put all the artificial covering, let her be consistent and take the next step, put it on the natural covering of the hair. We've already distinguished there's, there's a natural covering. Men and women. The, nature teaches us that it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Nature teaches us that it's a shame for a woman to have short hair. The natural distinction is there. Distinguishing the sexes. Distinguishing the order that God has set in his creation. The veil and the long hair are on the same side. The veil, the covering, the artificial covering, and the long hair are on the same side. And the unveiling and the short hair are on the same side. So, if a woman refuses to wear a hat to church, she should cut her hair close like a man or shave her head. Man shaves his face. The covering in verse 6 is not the hair, for if the hair is short, you cannot cut it. Short. It's already short or shaven. Much less can you not shave the head of a bald-headed woman. It's already done. That is what Milburn Cockrell had to say. There again, these quotes that I read to you are not the Word of God. But it goes along with what the Word of God has to say. If you read the Word of God as it is for us. So let's read verses 5 and 6 together again. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, we've already showed you that it was, let her be covered then. Because it's a shame for her to be cut short or shaven. 
It's a shame for her to come into the house of the Lord with her head uncovered. That's what the Word of God says. That's not Seth Bourne's interpretation. That's the Word of God. Now, we come to verses 7 and 9, 7 through 9. For man indeed ought not to cover his head. Why? For as much as he is the image and glory of God. That was a fact established in creation. He was to be the image and glory of God. That is, he was created in the image of God, and he was to bring glory. He was to bring honor and glory unto God. That's why we were created. For the glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. That last phrase in verse 7 and verse 8 are creational facts. That's why we spent so much time on headship and, and creational fact. Neither was the man created for the woman. Creational fact. But the woman for the man. Creational fact. Fact of God's word. In these verses, the Holy Spirit by the pen of Paul is again reinforcing the teaching of God's ordained headship by referring back to creation. The woman was created out of man and she was created for man to act as help meet a suitable helper for man to go alongside of to bring glory to bring glory to the man the man created in the image of God created for God's glory Man is to bring glory and honor unto God. The woman is created for man. And she is to, to bring glory unto the man. I 
know that if women libbers were listening to this today, they would get up in arms. It's God's Word. As I've said before, and I'll say it again, I'm a minister of the Lord. It's my responsibility to preach His Word, to preach the Word of God, to preach it as it is the Word of God from the Word. Because of this fact, the woman is to be under, under authority, in subjection to the man. Her authority is not to supersede the man's. Her, <laughs> she is under authority to him. And I know that there are men who abuse, abuse their wives, abuse their authority. But women, that's an issue that you have to leave in the hands of God. God will be their judge. God will take care of any man who abuses his authority over the woman. The woman is the glory of man, as we stated, and, 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 she's, and she's to bring glory. She, all that she does is to be, is to, in order to be a help to him, to, to glory, bring glory to him. We could go to the 31st chapter of the book of Proverbs and, and read about the virtuous woman and look at about the virtuous woman and, and all that she did was for her husband and her household that, that, he might, that he might receive glory, that he might be honored in the city, that he might be honored in the gates, that he might be known in the gates. That is the word and order of God. For the woman. The woman is the glory of man. She is under man in authority, in position. Not, not a lesser individual by any means, but it's just a positional fact of creation and God's order of creation and God stated that order. He didn't leave us to wonder and to say for the man to come up with the idea, well God gave me first, so I'm I'm the one that's in authority here. No. God stated it. And man is to be that and man doesn't take that place is shirking the responsibility that God gave to him. A woman that doesn't take her place is shirking the responsibility that God gave to her. 
So by virtue of the fact that she's under the man in authority, it's one of submission, and it's one of submission to God, to God's order, to his order of headship. She shows that publicly. How does she show it publicly? She shows it publicly by her natural covering her long hair, longer than man's hair. Spiritually, how does she show it? Spiritually, she shows it by wearing long hair, coming in to the house of the Lord, wearing some kind of covering on her head, drawing public worship. And in that, she is portraying that she is under the men, the male members of that family. Not just her husband, but she is to defer to all the men in the assembly. That is, she is to defer to their reign publicly and to their preaching publicly while she sits silently by, praying along with them and listening tentatively to the word that is being preached categorizing any questions that she can have and asking her husband at home. So by her long hair, she's naturally showing her position, her order among men. And when she comes into the assembly, covering her head, she is showing that she is under man. And in addition to that, she is showing with all the other women who have assembled with her heads covered, showing God's order, God's position, reinforcing God's word. She's showing the church this assembly in submission to its head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10. For this cause ought the woman have power on her head because of the angels. For or because of the creation order that is there. But we're given another 
thought. We're given another reason that she is to have her head covered coming in to the assembly, not only because of the creational order that exists and God's order in the assembly, but because of the angels, he says. Angels. God's angels. God's messengers are in our services. They're here today. They were here this morning. They're with us time that we, we assemble together in the body of Christ at 620 Palmetto Avenue, Melbourne assembles together. They're with us. They're with they're in the presence of, of all the assemblies of the Lord throughout the world. Whenever they meet, whenever they assemble. I want to turn to few passages of Scripture, the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 138. Psalms 138 and verse 1. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. What is the psalmist saying? What is David saying here? Is he saying before the other gods that I worship will I sing praise before thee? No, he's saying, before the angels, I will sing praise before thee. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And look with me here at verse 9. First Corinthians 4 and verse 9. For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. So here states the fact of, of angels looking on, of angels observing. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians in chapter 3. In verse 10. Ephesians 3.10 To the intent 
that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places it be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. He's, he's talking here about the principalities and powers uh, from heaven. The angels is what he's talking about from heaven. Might be, no, be known by the church <laughs> the manifold wisdom of God. In other words, we're to be we're to be instructing, we're to be making known to those principalities and powers, to those angels the will and the mind of God. First Timothy chapter five. First Timothy Chapter 5. In verse 21. Here Paul leaves a, a charge with young Timothy, the pastor of the church at Ephesus. He says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another doing nothing by partiality ministers acting in the behalf of Christ in the assembly here are to be made making known unto the angels partiality not preferring one over another, he says. In the book of Hebrews, book of Hebrews, chapter 1, in verse 13. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Set on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So it, angels have a, a real, are real. They have an important place in, in God's economy, shall we call it? They're his messengers. They, they're doing the bill the bidding of God and the will of God and they're present in our assembly they're present with the saints as we assemble together and we're to be teaching them as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ we're to be teaching them some things one of the things that we're to be teaching them according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is the church in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do we teach them the church being in submission to Christ is by the men 
doing the public praying and preaching and with their heads uncovered and the women coming into the assembly and placing a covering on their head showing that they are under the man showing that they are under submission to Christ as a church of Jesus Christ because the woman from the man and because elect angels observe our worship services the woman is to have her head covered or veiled I hesitate to use human reasoning here because it ought to be just enough that it is the Word of God. The Word of God states it. We ought to. But think about this moment. Why would Paul tell a woman she ought to have hair on her head because of the angels? But now, before it confuses you, that what some men are saying is, is her covering, is the covering talked about in these verses. And they grasp at that one, that one verse that, that made comment of a natural nature, her hair, her long hair is given to her as a covering. So I guess it, it, in, in a way this reasoning is, is a riddle to, to them. Why would Paul tell a woman ought to have hair on her head because of the angels. Long hair on her head. Well, he did. Since long hair on women has always been the accepted norm. Probably the day and time in which we find ourselves, we could say it's of a lesser norm than it had been even at the writing of this. But the norm has been long hair on women. That, that set her apart from the man. So Paul is plainly saying that a woman should have the symbol of submission. 
the artificial head covering, a hat or a veil or some type of covering on her head because of the angels. He's not saying women because they naturally wear long hair that she ought to, he's not telling them, well, you women who naturally wear long you ought to have long hair on because of the angels. It's just, it doesn't, it's just, well, just old muster, if you know what that means. If not, it just, it just doesn't make sense. Just doesn't make good common sense. See what happens when, when men go to try to explain away the Word of God? <laughs> They make no sense of the Word of God. They, they make it sound ridiculous. The Word of God plainly states that we ought to do something or that we ought to wear a head covering or not wear a covering, then we ought to do it. Even if it goes against our grain to do so. That means even if we don't really want to do it, we ought to do it. We ought to obey God. I, I use John Gill from time to time. I'm even hesitant to quote him. I I know is positionally with a couple issues that I don't agree with. But sometimes he has some good things to say. In fact, he has many good things to say. You just have to be careful of the few areas that he's in error on. But this is not one of them. John Gill stated this on this verse. The generality of interpreters by power, the word power in verse 10, understand the veil or covering of the woman's head as a sign of the man's power over her and her subjection to him. The Greek word more properly signifies the power she had of putting on and putting off her covering. In other words, talked about her power. Look at the verse. Make sense according to what he's saying here. Putting on and off her covering as she pleased, according as times, places, and persons make it necessary. This would be impossible if it were hair and not an artificial covering. Just 
Another word, by man, and you can take it for what it's worth. Hopefully, you take the Word of God, though, and believe the Word of God in what He is telling us in this portion of Scripture. We have to save verses 11 and 12 for next week.